from meager beginnings as an adolescent ambulance washer in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to a decade-long legacy of bringing you breaking news before it makes the news. Broadcasting live from the studios of Scared Monkeys Radio Network via C-band satellite W3-957, Access Communications Channel 7, and worldwide via digital streaming audio at scaredmonkeysradio.com, it's the Dana Pretzer Show. And now, your host, Dana Pretzer. Okay, good evening, everyone. I thought I'd bring back Clint Van Zant this week. I don't usually do that. I like to give him at least a couple of weeks off before I uh, bring him back on the show. But it's so important to continue on with Joran van der Sloot. And uh, uh, Clint uh, sent out an article here the other day, Setting the Record Straight, Joran van der Sloot and the FBI. Clint, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Dan. Always good to be with you. I, I, I'm disgusted with uh, some in the media, uh, some so-called uh, pundits that uh, should know better, uh, and the comments they're making about this case. Reading your article, uh, Fiction versus Fact, I agree with it totally. Let's get into the fiction part of it. Well, yeah, I think the fiction, and unfortunately the fiction is kind of a combination of what some in the media have rolled out because, uh, there's a lot in the media who like to bash law enforcement, and notwithstanding, the FBI does enough to get bashed honestly, much less to have it done dishonestly. Right. And then I think there was a, a private detective, a private investigator who was involved in this case, who should have known better, who shot off his mouth uh, at the same time and suggesting his belief that uh, during this sting operation that the FBI, the United States Attorney's Office, and the Aruban authorities had set up in Aruba this after uh, Joran Vandersloot had a- approached John Q. Kelly, Natalie Holloway's family's attorney, uh, asking for a quarter of a million dollars to finally, finally, finally to have this pathological liar step up and tell the truth and say what happened to Natalie and where her body was to give the Holloway family some closure. So fortunately, you know, you've, you've had Beth on your show, and I know yep. Beth, and, you know, she's a smart lady, and between her and John, they went to the FBI. The FBI very quickly saw the potential, number one, that this was a potential criminal violation, either an extortion and or a wire fraud or both, and number two, it could be a very good vehicle to jam Joran Vandersloot up, as you and I would know, and see if we could finally get him to roll over and tell the truth about the Holloway case. So this sting operation was set up in Aruba. He was given, depending who you listen to, somewhere between ten and $15,000 cash up front. He comes to Aruba two different times and meets with the attorney, Kelly. Uh, he's given a wire transfer for another ten to 15000 for a total of $25,000 that was Beth Holloway or a friend of hers money, not... FBI money, not U.S. government money. And uh, most, again, if you're in a criminal justice system, you know to make an extortion, to make a wire fraud, it has to be your money. It can't be the government's money. Right. So it was 100% Beth's money that was transferred to Euron Vandersloot. But then you had, you, you had, number one, the FBI in a foreign country. And I don't care what the television series 24 will tell you or what any other that... <laughs> tabloids of movies as an fbi agent who's worked overseas i can tell you we do not arrest uh non-u.s citizens outside of the united states there is no jurisdiction for that every country i've ever been in as an fbi agent i've had to have local police working with me if i did interviews of non-u.s citizens they had to be there they had to approve it if an arrest had to be made they had to make the arrest. That's just the way the world works. And for the media to suggest at that point, well, the FBI should have immediately busted Vandersloot. Had they done that, he wouldn't have had the money in his pocket, he wouldn't have gone to Peru, and he wouldn't have killed somebody. So here we have A to B to C to D, Dana, where people are connecting those dots and somehow suggesting Natalie Holloway's mother, Beth, John Q. Kelly, the attorney, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the Aruban authorities are all somehow responsible for the death of Stephanie Flores in Peru. Well, the reality was that even though Vandersloot said he would lead us, uh, Beth Holloway, to where Natalie was buried, 
you still had to get him to do that. I mean, the last thing in the world you would want to do is grab this guy and have him shut up and not, even though you could prove perhaps the wire fraud eventually, the, the object of this was to find out what happened to Natalie Holloway. So yep. the FBI, the Rubin authorities, was still working this case. Uh, Holloway t- or uh, uh, Vandersloot took the attorney to one spot where he said she was buried. Upon a subsequent investigation, the authorities determined there was no way because the construction was not going on at that time when he said he buried her in the concrete. So it was just one more lie from one of the world's better pathological liars. But by that time, he had taken the money and run. Now, Dana, there have been others who said, why didn't the FBI have this guy under 24-hour surveillance? So why didn't a Rubens do this? Well, number one, how many years has it been since Natalie Holloway died? Yeah. To our knowledge... Joran Vandersloot, even though he's made about a half a dozen different quasi-confessions, even though he was jammed up on videotape uh, trying to recruit girls in Thailand for purposes of prostitution, he has never been arrested, he has never been charged, and in all honesty, he's never been a suspect in another serious crime, much less a homicide. So these talking heads on television who are saying... He's a crazed murderer. He's a serial killer. You know, I sit and look at the TV, and I said, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, a serial killer, you'd kill three or more people with an emotional cooling-off period between the crimes. Natalie Holloway, we don't know what happened to her. Uh, the Flores in uh, Peru, he's confessed to that. So we've got one murder, one maybe. None of that else comes together. But I heard as late, Dana, as late as today on American television people with a grin on their face still speculating that the FBI and the Holloway family somehow was responsible for the murder of this young woman couldn't be further from the truth there couldn't be any way that someone could suspect that after five years he would commit another homicide and everything that was done was trying to build the case for the extortion and the wire fraud and realize that a wire fraud it's it, a wire fraud is a much better extraditable case internationally number one and number two most international courts they don't want to see a warrant based upon a complaint they want to see a grand jury indictment where a group of your peers have indicted you and a warrant has been issued uh, by a federal judge at that time so that's what the FBI that's what the US Attorney's Office was building towards and if it hadn't been for this horrific crime that Vandersloot allegedly committed in Peru, he would probably be sitting in a Peruvian, uh, in an Aruban, if not an American jail right now, uh, jammed up on wire fraud and extortion, trying to figure out a way to play let's make a deal so he could get back to Aruba. Well, he's still trying to play let's make a deal as early as uh, as late as today uh, or as, as recent as today. I'm reading an article where, again, he is uh, saying, get me out of the Peruvian jail, take me to Aruba, and I'll take you to Natalie. Well, he's got more uh, explanations and more uh, fixes for this case than the uh, chairman of BP does to try and fix the whole... <laughs> you know, I think, I think in all honesty, and I can only speak for myself, and I've been involved in this case since day one, as you know, I was down on the roof. I worked with the Holloway family. Yeah. I interviewed one of the Calpo brothers. And again, as you and I have suggested, if there's anybody who should be sweating bullets, it ought to be the Calpo brothers, too. Yep. Because if they did have anything to do with the disappearance of Natalie, look, Joran Vandersloot has already thrown his dead father under the bus and suggested his father help dispose of Natalie's body. If he's going to throw his dad under the bus, what is he going to do to the two Calpo brothers? So, you know, if I were them, I would get my uh, jogging shoes on and beat feet to the police department Mm -hmm. and try finally to tell the truth to them before, you know, uh, Vandersloot rolls over and offers them up in this uh, disappearance and assumed murder.
I couldn't agree more. Clint Van Zandt is here. You know Clint is a retired FBI agent, author, uh, safety expert, and uh, check out his webpage at livesecure.org. Let's get back to the media a little bit. Uh, you've been uh, politically correct when you don't mention names. I will. Uh, Greta Van Susteren and, and the PI Bo Deedle, uh coming out and, and, and doing what they've done and continue to do what they've done here in the last little while, I, I found somewhat shocking uh, and very disappointing, actually, in, in in both of them, there are some common sense elements to this, and like you, you talk about elements of, of making a case. Uh, why do you think that we hear this? For as long as you were in the FBI, uh, Clint, like you say, uh, sometimes the uh, the uh, the criticism is justified. Most of the time, it isn't. But some in the media just thrive on on blaming the cops. Well, you know, it's amazing in the media they thrive on blaming everyone, and and is. is you know, I you know I work for NBC. I work for MSNBC. I'm their on-air criminal analyst. But there are things that are done in the media that is just an outright shame. There are statements that are made that are totally unsupported, and there are people in the media who go out of their way looking to bash institutions that we ought to be trusting. I mean, if we look at the bashing that's been done on the military over the years and on the FBI and you know, I was going to say our political system, but they probably deserve to be bashed. But, you know, <laughs> not, notwithstanding, the FBI has made mistakes. I've sure. been there. I've made mistakes. I've testified before Congress of mistakes that I've made and the FBI has made. But, look, you've got humans doing the best they can. But when I see, especially an ex-cop, when I see someone who has been in law enforcement to either outright lie or go out of his way to make a case against another agency suggesting that they did something at, you know uh, somewhere between criminal criminally wrong or at least uh, investigatively stupid when you got to know better i mean what what ex cop would think that the fbi would have arrest authority outside of the united states on a foreign national the analogy i've done on television as i said look what if an aruban cop came to the United States, conducted an interview unbeknownst to any of us, put handcuffs on a U.S. citizen and said, I'm taking him back on a Delta flight back to Aruba. You know, I'd say, no, you're not, pal. I don't care who you are. That badge doesn't fly in this country. Well, they have the exact right to say the same thing. And for any talk show host to sit there and warm their hands over the fires of lies and innuendos and trying to just trying to trash agencies who are doing nothing but attempting to decide, to solve the disappearance of Natalie Holloway, attempting to develop the elements of a crime and prosecute Joran Vandersloot for extortion and wire fraud, to sit there with that with those stupid pathetic grins of like like some little kid that's telling a lie in the third grade. Yep. Those are the things that bother me. If if somebody does something wrong, if the bureau screws up, call them down on it and call them down quickly on it. But otherwise, don't make up stuff. You know, it's like some people want to make other people look smaller to make themselves look bigger. We, you know, when you grow up, you don't do that anymore. Well, and again, not to harp on it and continue on, but the, some hosts will continue uh, with the segment just as long as their ratings are, are reflecting that segment. And then after that, they drop it like a hot potato and, uh, and turn to politics. I just find it so disappointing. Clint Van Zant is here. Clint, while I've got you, and we're going to cover this a little bit later on in the, in the program, let's talk about uh, the young uh, Horman boy missing in Portland. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is, this is a tough one. There's things going on behind the scenes right now with the FBI, with the local police. Uh, some people are suggesting, you know, there may be information that comes out within the next couple of days. As you know, the ground search, a tearful uh, head of the local law enforcement agency, I believe the sheriff, uh, announced today that the ground search after 10 days has been called off. Well, what, what they do, of course, is they draw a 360-degree circle around that school. They figure how far, at the furthest, they think a 7-year-old boy might have traveled on his own if he wandered away, and they haven't found him. So they said, okay, if he hasn't wandered off on his own, then it has to be, it has to be some criminal aspect to it. And when you look at criminal, 
you have to say, well, number one, you've got the stepmother, you've got the biological father, you've got the biological mother, you've got the brother, you've got family members there that you either have to rule in or rule out by investigation. Then you have the potential, could have been an older student in the school that took advantage of him, maybe killed him and hit his body someplace, or an employee of the school. And as you know, there was a science fair going on the day, last Friday, a week ago Friday, that he disappeared. So there were a lot of strange people, different people, I should say, who were in the school, family members of other kids, maybe relatives. But all of this requires, and the FBI has been on the scene since day one, they're working with the local police and sheriff's office. They're trying to identify everybody who might have been in the school that day. They've asked everybody to bring their pictures in so they could identify people in the background of the pictures. They've went out and tried to interview every known sexual predator in the area. They've looked at surveillance film and cameras from 7-Elevens and gas stations. They've stopped traffic. I mean, they've done all the things you do. But if you take the um, stepmother's story uh, at face value, she says she goes to the science fair. She walks the little boy toward his classroom. He's 50 yards away from the door, half the distance of a football field in America, 50 yards. She waves goodbye and turns around and walks away, and he never makes it to the classroom. Uh, that is, uh, I do not recall another case in America where a child was taken out of a school under circumstances like this. And Many, many people, if you look at the blogs in America, a lot of, you know, uh, armchair investigators are suggesting because the family hasn't been up front, because the stepmother and others have not been before the cameras pleading for the little boy's return and doing the normal tearful response that most of us see every time a child disappears, that that may suggest something about the family. Well, the answer is... Maybe yes, maybe no. Some people are scared to death about being on television. Others don't want to look stupid. Others are afraid if they go up and talk, it'll look like they did something wrong and they really didn't. And there are those few that have something to hide, too. And I think that's where investigators are at right now. They, they've called it a criminal case. We haven't heard that the family's been eliminated. We've heard that they've been cooperating. We've heard that sex offenders have been identified. And we just hope upon hope that after 10 days, something positive happens. Dana, everybody clings to the case of uh, Elizabeth Smart. She was gone 10, 11 months, as you recall, in Utah. And every family I've ever dealt with after that time clings to the hope upon hope that it's their child, too, that will survive as long as Elizabeth did. But the reality for most investigators is that if we don't get a child back within four to six hours, that clock really starts ticking fast. After 10 days, it would be a minor miracle to get that little boy back alive again. But do we ever turn off the emotional porch light until we find that child's body? Absolutely not. Every investigator there is working 12, 18 hours a day because we know that could be our son, our grandson, and that's just what we do. There's no more important case than bringing a child home alive. Thank you, Clint, and uh, I'll stay in touch. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. That's uh, Clint Van Zandt, retired FBI agent, um, profiler, hostage negotiator, author, safety expert. uh, You name it, he's done it. And uh, I wanted to bring him on to talk about this whole, uh, again, his article, Setting the Record Straight, Joran van der Sloot and the FBI. Is that just one person's opinion, Clint? Yeah, but you know what? There's a lot of others uh, that have that same opinion. And uh, shame, and this is me saying this on Greta Van Susteren and and those like Bo Deedle uh, going on TV and and uh, reporting things that they obviously don't understand the facts about. Uh, is this case far from being over? Uh, yeah, it's far from being over. Will we learn a lot more about this whole extortion case? Yes, we will. But it's interesting with Greta Van Susteren, one who tended to believe uh, Joran van der Sloot, how she jumps all over this case like a bird on a bug uh, when the opportunity is right. And uh, when it affects her ratings, fine. But she'll also turn off the format and switch to politics real quick, too. Uh, 
and that's just the way that that goes. There's some on the internet that uh, will think that they are a, a crime host, uh, imitate others, uh, do what they can. We to to sound like others, uh, pretend, phony. Phony is a three dollar bill, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, does a total disservice to to everything that others do. I'm not saying we're the best here, but what I am saying is we do things our way. We are the real deal. No phonies, no imitators. We do the things that uh, scared monkeys like to do. And I'm not speaking for all of us, but I think I'm speaking for most of us. I'm Dan Pretzer. We're going to come back with author Diane Fanning and talk about the Steve Nodine uh, murder case. Uh, she's written an article on women in crime called Murder and the Politician. It's a fascinating story. And then a little bit later, uh, WKRG reporter Jessica Toloni on that same case. Uh, Robin Sachs will be here to talk about Vandersloot and his confession. And then uh, Blink from Blink on Crime will be here to talk about this sad case of Kyron Horman, uh, the young uh, lad missing from Portland, Oregon. Is there a uh, pedophile uh, sex offender connection to this case? Let's uh, stay tuned and find out what Blink has discovered. My name is Dana Pretzer. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, Author, I almost called her doctor. Maybe she is a doctor. I don't know. Author doctor Diane Fanning is here. Uh, Again, uh, she uh, happened to pick up on an interesting article, and I've been getting quite a few requests to talk about this story, uh, about Steve Nodine, and her article was on Women in Crime, uh, the Women in Crime blog, and it's always uh, great to have Diane here. Hi, Diane. Hello, Dana. How are you this evening? I'm great. Are you a doctor? No. I don't think. No, I am not. No, well, I'm going to, every time I introduce you, you're going to be author, doctor, or doctor, author. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Listen, Steve Nodine, uh, we were going to talk about this last week, but with all this uh, crazy Vandersloot and Drew Peterson stuff, uh, we had to postpone it to this week, and you are here now. Let's talk about the Mobile County, former Mobile County Commissioner Steve Nodine, and your article, Murder and the Politician. Steve Nodine is like one of the worst politicians you could encounter. Not only was he charging personal expenses to the account, but he was going around uh, intoxicated in public. He was showing up at places where he was supposed to be in an official capacity, where they were having the BP oil discussions, and he was intoxicated, and he was belligerent. And on top of all of that, he was having an affair while he was married. And the woman he was having an affair with turns up dead in her driveway, shot shot dead right there in her driveway. Yeah, and, we'll talk, and he was seen leaving the scene. We'll talk about Angel Downs here in a little bit. Now, th- this guy has had, uh, like you say, a lengthy problem. Uh, and I'm saying Nodina should be no dine. I'm getting emails here now, and I'm bad for that. I, uh, I've interviewed a uh, reporter uh, that'll be on after uh, this, but it's Steve Nodine. I'm, it's a Canadian thing. I can't. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his longtime mistress Angel Downs. Uh, it's such a sad story. Let, let's talk about her a little bit and uh, how did she get hooked up with this character? Well. She has, Angel has a very sad history. She's been sick for quite a long time, and she was waiting for a heart heart transplant, and most of her life. And so then she met Steve Nodine, and he was um, a manipulative kind of guy, charismatic. But he could pull things over on, on a lot of people, and he did so, and Angel was one of them. And she was really a, a, just a nice person who tried to get out of a, a relationship she decided she didn't want to be involved in any longer. And that is the danger time for women, unfortunately, when they decide to leave a relationship, whether they're married or a girlfriend or a mistress, that there's a two-year period there that their life is at greater risk than any other time because that is when um, the wrong partner is apt to lash out and 
commit the ultimate act of domestic violence, which is murder. We're talking about Nodine, uh, several different indictments, uh, but one of them I found interesting in your article where they talked about uh, the indictment alleging that Nodine should be removed from office and and words like uh, neglect of duty, uh, corruption in office, incompetence, intemperance in the use of intoxicating liquors or narcotics, and moral turpitude. I... You know, in all my years, you don't often hear moral turpitude. How did this character get into the role that he was as a uh, county commissioner? Was he elected? Uh, he was appointed to fill a, a position of someone who who resigned, and he just he was just totally unsuited for it, and he should not have been in it. and And he he sort of took it as his personal. Uh, validation, and he could do no wrong, so he proceeded to do every wrong. It, it was just unbelievable. They found him with all these Laura tabs that he had, he which is a pain a painkiller that he had been uh, uh, abusing. He'd gotten it from nine different pharmacies in four different states, and he just was totally out of control, and he had no sense of responsibility for the position he was in. And, and, you know, sometimes you hear some pretty outrageous things being done by politicians in high places. But let's let's face it, a county commissioner is not, you know, like a senator uh, or a governor. And so he was pretty low level in the world of politics. But he took he did high crimes with that low level power. I understand that no Dines, uh, uh, the family of Angel Downs, I should say, were instrumental somewhat in pushing this case uh, to the authorities. Uh, what do you know about that? Well, they 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 didn't want to uh, let things lie. They didn't want her to her death to go on unanswered injustice, and and they really pushed. To, to have it investigated because it, the whole investigation got complicated because you've got a guy in one county and and once and, and a woman who dies in another and that complicated things a bit too and and it took the family pushing and putting it in the foreground and um, and doing their own digging to make it happen. What's happening with No Dying now? He's in jail. He is still in jail. The judge has said he will reduce his bond, but he will not decide how much he will reduce it until he hears more from the federal government who has him up on weapon charges. (laughs) So he's got a parcel full of trouble, and it seems like he's only got one friend who who is coming uh, to uh, rescue his reputation and try to get him out of jail and that's this guy named Mickey Derman, who's no paragon of virtue either. He was arrested in March for uh, charges that I'm not even sure what the charges mean to be out of some menacing and obstructing government operations. Uh, so I guess he, he, he tried to act a tough guy uh, and threaten people. I mean, I guess that's what menacing is. It's another one of those things that just sounds nice, like moral turpitude. I was just going to say, I love it when you're on here. A paradigm of virtue, moral turpitude, and uh, whatever else. Uh, What are you up to? What's your latest? I am working on a book about Raynella Dossett Leaf. And she um, said that her first husband was all alone when he got stampeded by the cattle. And uh, she got away. That was in 1992, and nothing was done about that until 2003, when her second husband, she said, committed suicide. But when they investigated, they discovered that three shots were fired, and the second shot was instantly fatal. So it's kind of hard for that to be a suicide. And she was convicted of killing him, and is now facing charges in the first murder because they the first death because it is now thought that he was given a failed overdose of morphine and uh, was taken out and left there for the cattle to stomp on. Wow. 
It's uh, always fascinating to have you on and, and to hear what you're working on. The article, Murder and the Politician, talking about former Alabama Mobile County Commissioner Stephen Nodine. Now, I said that properly. It's kind of hardened your jaw to say that, Nodine. Uh, but that's that. <laughs> that's the loser who's sitting in jail with the winner who's on uh, with us now, who was on, author Diane Fanning. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Dana. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's author Diane Fanning, and uh, again, check out her article about Stephen Nodine. I'm making fun of it a little bit, uh, and I apologize for pronouncing it Nodine. In fact, you'll hear in my next uh, uh, segment with uh, Jessica Taloni from uh, WKRG-TV, where we talk about Mr. Nodine. I mispronounce it there, too, but continuing on with that story, Jessica Taloni from uh, WKRG-TV, and I sat down here just the other day talking about the same case. Here she is. Okay, we're back. You all know Jessica Taloni as a anchor reporter with WKRG-TV in Mobile, Alabama. Always a pleasure to have her on the program. Hi, Jessica. Hey there. Want to uh, follow up a little bit on my last segment, uh, this Nodine uh, character. When we look at the uh, the grand jury delivered a bill of indictment, when you hear the words uh, incompetence, intemperance, and the use of intoxicating liquors or narcotics and moral turpitude, it almost makes you think it's a new uh, cable reality show, but it's not. It's a uh, it's a serious matter, the murder of Angel Downs and this uh, Mobile County Commissioner Stephen Nodine. Tell us what's going on. Well, Commissioner Nodine actually had three different grand jury indictments. Of course, the one I think you're referring to had to do with his bill of impeachment, which they were going to force him off the county commission in light of all the charges against him. That's what you're reading from. There was also an indictment for uh, drug charges dealing with 2,400 lure tabs that police say were found inside his car, in addition to some marijuana, and then finally the one that is is rightfully so getting the most attention, is the murder of his mistress, Angel Downs, who investigators have told us um, he had a long, open affair with for, uh, for for quite a while before she was found shot to death in Gulf Shores, Alabama. Now, uh, of course, what we've talked about already is his uh, claiming innocence, uh, uh, somewhat uh, invoking religion, and that's my term. Uh, here's a story that has been overrun by uh, other cable news stories that have come out here in the last little while. We haven't heard too much of this story nationally, but can you give us a Reader's Digest version and break this down a little bit? On what actually happened, the, the timeline of events, is that what you're looking for right now? Absolutely. Well, this started with the marijuana, with the drugs, was the first indication that we had that something was wrong, and that was back in December. This past December, um, at a county garage, he had dropped his truck off to have some maintenance done on it, and uh, a worker there said that, that he found marijuana in a pill bottle, in a prescription pill bottle. That went quiet for several months until all of a sudden, late one Sunday night, Mother's Day night, um, we start hearing that police are looking for this Mobile County Commissioner in connection with the shooting death of his mistress. And that uh, turns into him being named a person of interest and then him being named a suspect. All within one week, he's indicted on those drug charges, which were from back in December, but not indicted until May. He was indicted uh, with a bill of impeachment from a Mobile County grand jury. And then he was arrested on those two charges. His wife filed for divorce. And then about, I want to say a week, maybe two weeks after that, he's indicted by the Baldwin County Grand Jury, which is where the shooting happened, for murder. Wow. <laughs> and you, you and I think we're having a bad day sometimes. That this... It couldn't be any worse for him. I mean, it was one thing after another for several weeks there. Yeah, for sure. If you're just tuning in, Jessica Taloni is here. You know her as a, a reporter with WKRG-TV in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I, am I pronouncing it wrong when I say no dean? It's no dean? It's no dime. No dine. Yeah, no, no dime. No dime when he's all done with this, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, again, I, and I don't mean to make uh, make light of it, but uh, this guy, uh, a Mobile County Commissioner, uh, lots of responsibility for, for those uneducated uh, as far as what does a county commissioner do. Tell us, what were his responsibilities? Well, I know it's 
something different from town to town, county to county, city to city across the country, but it's like a city council person, but uh, on a county level, um, represents his district of Mobile County, and there's three commissioners on Mobile County Commission. Of course, now with his resignation, um, there are only two. Late this afternoon, I will tell you this, late this afternoon, he entered a written plea. He's supposed to be in court tomorrow for his arraignment. Um, but he's waived that arraignment, so he won't be in court tomorrow, and he entered a written not guilty plea to the murder charge. And that's the very latest that's happened on this. So who's representing him? It's an attorney named Dennis Nisley and uh, John Williams. They're partners in a law firm. And Dennis has represented um, a number of high-profile cases in the area. But I say this, this takes the cake on it. I mean, this is definitely the most high-profile case he or, or anybody really here has been involved in. Now, let's talk a little bit about Angel Downs' uh, long relationship between them, uh, mistress uh, uh, relationship, I guess we could call it. Uh, w- what about her? Well, her friends have told us, and I believe they've talked to attorneys about this, they say that when she first met the commissioner, she didn't know he was married. But now, from what we understand, this was a long relationship, and, and obviously at some point she did know he was married. Um, and this relationship continued, and, and up until her death, investigators have told us that those last few months, maybe last few weeks, she was trying to break the off and that it was rocky, but even the day of her death, we've had people that have told us they were on the beach in Pensacola, Florida together. So, uh, so we're not really, we're not clear on what the status of that relationship was, but he did have a wife and he had a young son. And, and that's the tragic part of all of this, uh, the families that are involved, and of course our sympathy goes to the, uh, the Angel Downs family. Tell us a little bit about her family. Uh, how are they reacting to the arrest, the, uh, the not guilty plea, and, and all of this uh, disaster in their, uh, in their life? Well, Angel Downs was shot once in the head, is what investigators told us early on. And initially, in talking to police, I think a lot of people were looking at this as a possible suicide. But her family and her friends from the start came out swinging, and they said this was not a suicide, that Angel Downs was not suicidal, that she actually had plans just a short time after her death that she was supposed to be meeting friends for a cookout. So they absolutely disputed any claim that this could have been a suicide. And I really think they pushed the hand, um, at least of the district attorney's office in some way, to look at this more seriously as a murder. Um, and, and within the week, they ended up calling it a murder and naming the commissioner a suspect. Another case where the family steps in and uh, and helps along, and, and, and that's so important in this case. Uh, Jessica Toloni, uh, thank you. Uh, this is uh, an update on the Stephen No Dine case. Uh, who needs Diane Sawyer when we have Jessica Toloni reporting here on the program? Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It's a high-profile case for sure. We're not hearing a lot about it, uh, but uh, again, it, it's a tragedy. Our um, sympathies go out to the uh, family of Angel Downs, and it should be an interesting trial. Lots of uh, lots of intrigue for sure. And uh, we've had uh, uh, Diane Fanning talk about it, and then an update with uh, Jessica Toloni, and we will continue following it here on uh, the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're actually pre-recording this interview a little bit early because my next guest, Robin Sachs, is unavailable to come on the show Sunday night live. Uh, but uh, it's, what, what is this, Wednesday, Robin? Yes. Yeah, it's nice to have you. Uh, Robin, you know, is a former felony DA, someone who's very busy as a TV legal analyst. Uh, she's an author, a safety expert, a victim's advocate, you name it. And I thought I'd bring her back on the show to talk uh, about some of the um, uh, the updates on Joran Vandersloot since we've talked since last Sunday. Uh, the, the confession. Uh, how does someone who is a serial confessor, a uh, serial liar, uh can, can his confession be utilized against him in, in a Peruvian court? Well, the issue for any defense attorney who is analyzing this case or who is representing Norman Vandersloot is going to make a lot about his inability to honestly confess, and that's going to be the bulk of the case from the um, defense point of view. But the, from the prosecutor point of view, if you're presenting a case, you kind of need to build the case uh, separate and independent from the confession, and thanks to the overwhelming amount of evidence, at least this time in this case, there seems to be the ability for prosecutors to be able to 
actually put the pieces of the puzzle together and be able to present a case regardless of what Doran says. Yeah, his goose is cooked, there's no doubt. There's lots of evidence, I'm sure, that we're not hearing about. Uh, the, the television coverage, again, is uh, is interesting, high-profile case, lots of speculation going on out there. We're seeing video shots. Uh, w- what's happened now is uh, some of the... Cable news hosts have turned against the FBI, uh, saying that uh, basically they funded uh, Joran Vandersloot to go to Peru, and uh, and now this girl is dead. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on that. I'm actually on Sunday going to be talking to someone from the FBI or a retired FBI agent to to get the FBI's perspective. Uh, I, I think the FBI is being uh, unfairly bashed here, or am I wrong? Well, I think that the, this is obviously a very complicated case, and um, and there was you know complications and and investigation that the FBI wanted to be able to do and thoroughly do their investigation. But in my opinion, when you have a case where the you know there's an extortion of money and the money has actually been turned over and he received and cashed the you know used the cash or had the cash that was wired into his account. I don't know what, how much more proof you need to show for extortion from then. Well, I don't really know what they were waiting for necessarily to, to be able to prove. So I understand that their perspective was, listen, we want to have a nice thorough case here, but when they you know, got wind that he was going to leave, it certainly seems that they should have done something at that point. Do, do, yeah, and do we know all the details yet? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, of course the FBI didn't have any way of knowing that uh, this... Uh, uh, Ramirez uh, murder would happen, um, and yeah, maybe the ball was dropped a little bit. But uh, again, and now I want you to put your analyst hat on. Uh, I think the media is jumping the gun here a little bit. It's going to be curious to see what the Holloway family or the uh, uh, the Ramirez family have to say about this. There's only one person that's really at fault here, and, and uh, allegedly, of course, Joran Vandersloot, and we'll see if he's convicted in court. But uh, when the blame game starts like this, uh, and uh, with Aruba and Natalie Holloway, it was very well documented and still is to this day, Robin, uh, about the inept investigation, uh, the, the cover-up, the involvement of the father. That was easily known. Uh, here... You have an extortion case. The FBI, I'm going to guess, and this is totally a guess, are going to come back saying that they uh, are, are putting the case together. We want to see what he does next. Uh, you know, there's elements that needed to be proven. Uh, what more do you need? Uh, just because Bo Deedle comes on uh, a, a television cable show and says they should have arrested him doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, and it seems like that's all that the focus has been. Again, maybe I'm uh, a little one-sided here, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, listen, everyone can play Monday morning quarterback and say we could have, should have, and done this and done that. I mean, listen, they should have also uh, arrested uh, Bruce Beresford Redmond before he snuck off back to the United States and Mexico, and there's a million other cases that we could have looked at it and say we should have done things way, you know, this way or that way. But in, in this case, with someone as slippery and someone as devious as Joran Vandersloot, who has been known to continuously get away with activity, it seems to me that with someone like that, you had the bird in the hand with the cashing of the, the money and the exchange of the money at least, you know, done something. Now, at the same time, I mean, this is going to sound really awful, and I'm sure, you know, people will hate me for this comment, but I do need to at least throw it out there, is that... Um, Let's look at the maximum on a on an extortion claim. I mean, unfortunately, and, and please don't take this as a, I you know I'm happy about this victim, but at least that maybe with this victim case, there's something that's going to actually keep him in prison for a decent amount of time, and in a prison where the conditions aren't so good, and hopefully the the prison system will take care of the rest. Right, and and I, I understand totally what you're saying. This isn't about. The fact that uh, this young girl has uh, been sacrificed in order to put Vandersloot in prison. No, he allegedly killed her. He will, if convicted, pay the price for for doing that. Uh, the whole extortion thing. I think the the investigation and the facts will come out eventually, and and people need to just uh, sit back, relax a little bit, and uh, see what the FBI has to say. And of course, we'll follow that up more on Sunday. Uh, you're heading back to uh, 
the big city. Uh, what mm-hmm. what are you doing now? By God, you're busy. Well, you know, it's no secret that I love New York. Any time that I can find a reason or have a reason to be in New York, I, I take it. So I am going to uh, New York, and I'm doing lots of things. I, I have so many things. I have too many things to even list. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's, that's all right, but you're busy. Uh, and, and that's the important part about Robin Sachs is because when you go to robinsachs.com and see everything that you're involved in, uh, how do you focus on A, being an analyst, uh, B, uh, helping victims, C, writing a book, D, uh, coming on uh, My Dopey Show, uh, E, doing uh, TV, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it's got to be tough. Is it the life? Uh, that you expected that you'd be going to from a prosecutor? What what, what were you more busy at, a prosecutor or no, this? I, to be honest with you, I've had this debate all the time. I was definitely much more, I'm definitely much more busy now. I'm busier than I've ever been now. Um, and I'm, you know, but it's a, the, the one thing is this is a lonely world. That's the one thing that I really miss about being in the DA's office. In the DA's office, if, you know, you're kind of going through a case and you're trying to figure out, you know, what's the right thing and how should you do it and strategize and so forth, you have, you know, in the Los Angeles DA's office, there's, you know, 1,100 other DAs that you can chat with and get some, have some camaraderie and, and, and be able to kind of go through it. And, the, you know, you're on the side of wearing white. You're with the cops. You're with the detectives. You're, it's all good. Yeah. Here, <laughs> here, as you know, um, even though I'm protecting and advocating for victims, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm bashing uh, prosecutors or detectives or police officers who are my friends and my teammates. So it's, you know, and, and I... And so, you know, that, that's not going to earn me much friends in those places anymore. So it's it's a very tight walk here. And, I, you know, I run into people that I, you know, from my old office, and they see me and they're like, you know, hi, Robin, no comments, you know. And they see me, and, and it's really um, a little bit sad. But at the same time, some of the great strides that we've been making in some cases, including the fact that we got John Mark Carr served, um, makes it all worthwhile. Quick question on John Mark Carr. Um, a lot of media. Uh, did the media help with this case? Yes. Oh, goodness, yes. Yes, if it wasn't for the media in this case, I don't think we would have had near the attention that we would have gotten. It was an exact example of why you need media and interest. And let me also tell you, Mr. Dana Pretzer's of Scared Monkeys, I can tell you that when I had a, one of my first conversations with the detective in this case was that he had listened to your show to get a sense of what was going on in the case. So all media, uh, whether it uh, airs nightly on a national network or the cable network or right here on your uh, network, I'm thrilled to be part of your amazing show. Now, you're doing a piece on Good Morning America for, uh, and I can't, can't, can never pronounce his name, the, the dopey football player Roth, Rothenberger? Rothenberger, yeah. Yeah, whatever, however you say that. And, exactly. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we've seen so many high-profile sports uh, figures, cases, uh, uh, steroids. Uh, it, it, it's crazy, really it is, and it doesn't matter what professional league it is. There seems to be this eliteness uh, and um, you can't what, – what I'm getting at is the, the league itself can't babysit all the time. Yet it seems like there's this uh, sense of, uh, of uh, eliteness with these athletes that when they do uh, get on the wrong side of the law that it's not going to be a big deal. They can get away with it, a la Lindsay Lohan and, and others. Your, your thoughts on, on this uh, recent – and it's not that recent. It's been going on for a while. Uh, NFL player that's got himself in a lot of trouble. Well, here in this case, the, the part that's so frustrating to me is there was no reason in my mind for the prosecutors to have made the decision to reject this case so quickly. I mean, there's yeah. certainly a very long statute of limitations on a sex crimes case. And sex crimes cases are not easy. And there's problems with this case, I can see from the prosecutor point of view. So it's not, you know, saying, okay, that they, they should have... Um, filed or what have you, but how about at least have the appearances of doing due diligence and a thorough investigation? That's the part that bothers me. There's no rush, and, and the only benefit of the rush here seemed to be um, to, to Ben Rosselberger. And here you have someone who this is, you know, besides some of the issues. I mean, this is someone who has a known history of sexual mm-hmm. misconduct of sorts, at least alleged. And um, you know, I find it, I, I find it troubling. 
how many times can those, the uh, sense of entitlement that they have, how many times can they get away with it? Uh, Lindsay Lohan again in front of the judge because her scram bracelet goes off. I'm really tired of hearing about her, but uh, it's also fascinating to see uh, the, the media attention on a B-list celebrity now. Uh, and we've talked about it, and I'll get the final comment from you, Robin. Uh, you know. Uh, we get 15 minutes a day on Lindsay Lohan, but uh, that the, the little lost seven-year-old boy, uh, I haven't seen a whole lot about him on some of the cable news shows. I know. That is just uh, mind-boggling and frightening and sad that here you have this situation going on in Oregon where it's, you know, the, you know this little boy is, was, is gone after having been at a science fair there with his stepmom and yet we are sitting here trying to determine how much alcohol was you know Lindsay Lohan had yeah. in her system when her scram break, bracelet went off it, it's 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 the same fight that you and I have all the time that we discuss all the time um, it, it would be nice if the the judge just did something to Lindsay Lohan and threw her in the slammer already so we could just like go on and get on to some of these other cases so partially I blame the judicial system for just letting these cases drag out, and then I blame us for talking about it. Yeah, and it's too bad the scram bracelet wouldn't literally make Lindsay Lohan scram. Robin Sachs, have fun in the big city, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's uh, former felony DA Robin Sachs, one of the busiest women in uh, in TV and, and around uh, talking about a little bit of everything. Don't get me wrong about this whole sting thing uh, with the FBI and uh, and Vandersloot. I just I think it's a little unfair uh, for those in the media to jump all over this uh, right away until all the facts come out. It's a tragedy that that young girl lost her life, uh, but blaming the FBI for it is wrong. And uh, we need to sit back and wait. Were there uh, mistakes made? Yeah, probably. But let's sit back and and, uh, take a collective deep breath and and find out first before we start to... uh, to report on it too much. Uh, there was good intentions, I'm sure, with the FBI, uh, the Holloway family, and everything to uh, to catch that smart-ass Vandersloot. It's just too bad that it turned this way. But uh, I'm not going to bash the FBI yet. Let's wait and see what happens. My name is Dana Pretzer. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. We'll be right back. Okay, we're going to cut into the uh, zombie army uh, PDA to go to my next guest, who, by the way, has her own reality show debuting on TLC, uh, starting next week, called Blink Plus Eight. Is that not correct? <laughs> Blink Plus Six. Yeah, well, Plus Six. Is that what it is? Blink, blink at uh, at uh, eight p.m. I don't know what it is, but anyway, congratulations well, either on. Either is wrong network and wrong name, but soon to be announced. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on the reality show. You know, TLC. Uh, if it isn't the uh, the little people, I love watching those guys. Uh, the cake baker. I love that show. The cake the little ba- couple, you mean? The little couple. That's it. The cake bakers, uh, the the little people who make chocolates, and then the ever lovable half man half tree show. I'm sure you'll fit right in on TLC. Thanks for that endorsement. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, with all seriousness, uh, Blink from Blink on Crime is here. Our sister blog, The Scared Monkeys, go to blinkoncrime.com to learn everything and anything about all the high-profile cases that are out there. Uh, Kyron Horman, we talked with Clint Van Zandt earlier about this tonight. Uh, there's uh, lots to talk about. Let's get at it. There is. First, I really quickly want to just say, you know, I heart Robin in her last comments when you were talking about whether or not uh, Lindsay Lohan's scram bracelet uh, read whatever, and she said, you know, I feel really bad about that because there's this, you know, young child that's missing from Portland, and we're talking about Lindsay Lohan. So I just want to say I don't really care about Lindsay Lohan. I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't. No, I, you know, I, I don't either, and like I said, I, I hope her scram bracelet makes her scram, but uh, the the media is going to be all over her and continue, and they have been, and if it isn't her, it's at uh, Paris Hilton, and if it isn't her, it's some other freak in Hollywood, and uh, I don't know. No, they have to feed the beast, and I understand that, and, and maybe that's a little bit why we do what we do, because you have to combat that, you know, in, in terms of public interest and uh, making sure people understand what they need to do to, you know, really arm themselves. And the Kyron Horman case, you know, we cover a lot of these cases, Dana, but this case is haunting yeah. for anybody. I mean, you heard it from Dr. Van Zant earlier. 
Oh, I know. Even yeah, he, he even he is is calling it baffling, and from somebody that respects his work exponentially, it's because you have a seven year old child who goes to the elementary school with his stepmom, who he has resided with for the bulk of his uh, his life, really. So they were quite close, and and that was his primary residence, um, but. They were there between 8 and 8.45, and his stepmother left at 8.45, seen by multiple witnesses. And law enforcement has indicated they have a witness who saw Kyron at 9 a.m., but they have not disclosed and have actually said they're withholding who he was seen with and where he was within the vicinity of the school, which we know from covering prior cases means that is proprietary evidence. Yep. No, absolutely. He's seen, you know, how many cases do we know where the person that is missing was seen with this person last turns mm-hmm. out to be involved. Mm-hmm. It's nine out of ten. So one of the things that happened in terms of developments today was, I mean, I have not seen an organized formal search and rescue effort span 18 counties where you've actually had, you know, a sheriff say, uh, uh, excuse me, I think it was the county board advisor say, do what you need to do, and then we'll figure out how to pay for it. Right. I was so impressed with that. I was too. There was a lot of, you know, flack about the family and them not coming forward necessarily in a public way, and Clint talked about that a little bit earlier. But, But just to update, they actually did give a press conference uh, the day before yesterday, okay. on the week mark of Kyron missing, and it was painful. I mean, I watched uh, a unison front of Kyron's biological parents and his step-parents clearly united in both their grief and their support of one another, and yet, you know, you saw a little bit of the blogosphere, not on my site, mm-hmm. <laughs> not on Scared Monkeys, um, but you, you saw a little bit of the blogosphere, uh, you know, that was critical because of a Facebook posting or here and there, which I would remind viewers and readers that they, that is private, so they would be actually assessing something they've never actually seen. Right. And... Every piece of this case struck me from day one, and I believe they have the who, and I believe they're just looking for the where. Right. Sadly, that is, that, that's what I believe. I believe that even the family is aware of this individual. And in, in researching the case, we came across a piece that I posted tonight, which is, it's, it's stupefying. I don't know that I've ever actually used that word in radio, Dana, but you know, I think it is stupefying. You know, we've heard moral turpitude, stupefying, all these words tonight, and I'm looking through my dictionary and my... Uh, <laughs> and and Cana- Canadian dictionaries are only 12 pages long, so it's, I can't find half of these words. I'm having a hell of a time. Well, you know, you better back off. I have some very strong friends that are Canucks. I just want you to know. Okay, well, I'm, so- I'm sorry to hear that, but anyway... <laughs> Oh, I thought you were one of them. Yeah, anyway, uh, let, let's continue on. Blink from Blink on Crime is here, and, and we're discussing the, this uh, this heartbreaking case. Uh, you know, all we have to do is just look at all, many of these young children disappearing and, and look at the uh, the pedophile, the sexual offender uh, angle to it, uh, and uh, you're going to, like you've mentioned, uh, or you've already actually have posted on BlinkOnCrime.com an interesting um, uh, part to this, and I'll throw that ball to you now. Thank you, yes. In our research, and, and that is standard procedure, as you know, mm-hmm. in, uh, in law enforcement when a child goes missing or uh, there's circumstances similar to that, the registered sex offenders are literally the first place, you know, working from the nucleus out uh, that is investigated. And what I found, as I said, was stupefying, was there is a gentleman by the name of Timor uh, Dykes, who is a career pedophile molester that literally just caused uh, the, um, the Boy Scouts of America and the Pacific 
organization, as well as the Church of the Latter-day Saints. The Latter-day Saints, the Mormon faction, literally has an undisclosed amount that they agreed to an out-of-court settlement. Within the civil judgment, the Boy Scouts of America literally received an $18.5 million settlement because of this guy. He has over 20 verified child, young men, sexual molestation or other victims in his past. He has, his last conviction was in 1994. He got 18 years. Nobody knows why, but he got out in, in 2002. And the only reason, Dana, that he was caught after his first offenses, which he got probation for, was because he was driving to a campsite with a van packed with Boy Scouts, had an outed uh, taillight, was pulled over by police who ran his license, and the van full of Boy Scouts were literally driven driven to the police station where their parents were called to pick them up. Mm -hmm. That was the first indication they had. And the gentleman that received this settlement, his parents confronted him at that time as a good parent would, and said, you know, what has this individual done anything inappropriate to you? And at that time, he said no. It was not until other victims came forward, and there are 20 of them. Only eight of them have actually sought a civil judgment. But there are 20 of them that he, he, actually, he admitted to, to both the church and to the Boy Scouts, and he still operated as a Boy Scout leader. He operated as a, uh, a site tour for, for camping grounds. He operated as a rock climber. He operated as an at-home schooler for the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And he operated in several areas as a Boy Scout leader after his convictions. The only reason we know that is because of the civil litigation where they developed, well, excuse me, where it was known that there was something called a perv short for perverted, file that the Boy Scouts actually developed because of the rate of accusations and allegations against leaders. So, you know, in their defense, they stated that they were tracking them. But it should be noted that they never, they never used that information to alert authorities. These aren't necessarily uh, crimes against children that were noted or acted upon by this body, by this billion-dollar volunteer organization. Right. It, it, so, technically speaking, and what is, to me, is mind-boggling, is this file, which contains over 1,100 cases, has never been released publicly. Yeah. So, in theory, there could be that about, there could be 1,100 different offenses that may or may not be of individuals that could be suspects in other cases, that uh, could be attributable to unsolved cases. I mean, the list goes on. If you have, I mean, even from this guy, if you have 20 known offenses, and, and these offenses, by the way, weren't one-time situations. In particular, this individual was molested by this guy from the age of nine until he was 15. You, it, so this went on for years and years upon multiple victims. My first response is, you will never in a million years get me to believe this guy stopped offending when he went to prison. Well, they don't. Never. No. So from 2002, his release until now, you should know that this guy has evolved. He has evolved, and and I'm comfortable saying there's no. You're not going to find an expert that's going to say this guy just stopped. There's no. victims, no. Uh, and our job now is to find out who they are. Yeah, and I right, and I can't say that he's directly tied to Kyron's case. No, what I can say is he is in a close proximity. There's no question in my mind that in their investigative efforts, unless they had a, you know, a pat suspect from day one with a strong case, which I don't, I don't think is true. I think it probably took them a few days. And also, as you know, when, when we watch these cases 
and we see, you know, warrants for registered sex offenders that are, you know, all of a sudden, because that's what they do. They, they check that sphere. And then if they're not where they're supposed to be, they issue warrants. So we do know that they've kind of checked that out. This individual should be on every radar of every law enforcement agency and of every parent. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this person has offended and will continue to offend, and there's no doubt in my mind. It's going to be one of those conversations that you and I have eventually when it comes to light where we say, well, you know, we knew it. Yeah, told you so. And there's too many told you so's. Go back to Jessica Lunsford. You can, you know, name more and more and more. And the Boy Scout thing is, is so so true, Blink. Uh, the website is blinkoncrime.com. You can learn more about Kyron Horman there and other high-profile cases. It's our sister blog, and it's always a pleasure to have uh, Blinkster on the show. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Dana. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Blink from Blink on Crime always a pleasure to have her check out her blog along with uh, the main blog at uh, scaredmonkeys.com our radio show page is scared monkeys radio put three w's and then scared monkeys radio.com uh, you can hear the show live you can pick up on uh, podcasts of past shows daily commentaries leave comments uh, do whatever you like like i say no imitators here we are the real deal we let you say what you want to say i'm dana pretzer Thanks for joining me. We'll see you again real soon here on Scared Monkeys Radio. Good night. You've been listening to the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We invite you to discuss tonight's program with other listeners by joining us at scaredmonkeysradio.com where you'll find program archives, links to tonight's guest websites, and further information regarding tonight's topics. Scared Monkeys Radio is a production of scaredmonkeys.com. Thanks for listening.